0: Last week we imagined ourselves as um, kind of villagers in a first century village and we imagined ourselves there when the the town crier came running into the middle of town to deliver a proclamation a message and that this message was very very good news we defined a sermon that way that a sermon is a proclamation or a declaration of something that is true and in this case very very good news that's what a sermon is it's a proclamation that jesus is the king that he's sovereign and that he's over us in this particular case in the Sermon on the Mount, the proclaimer is Jesus himself. The King himself has come and the King is delivering this message. We, in, we envisioned ourselves as kind of part of that village. We, we were there when the message was given. We are able now, we're now hearers of the message and that makes us also carriers of the message. So today we're going to talk a little bit about the responsibility of those of us who've heard the good news. What, what it is that we do with that good news. Part of what it is, we, we believe it we claim it, we begin to live in it, we begin to live through the message of that very, very good news, and then also it becomes our responsibility to take the news like those villagers would have taken that news home to their families and and to the butcher shop or the bakery or wherever they were going that day. And they would have said, did you hear, have you heard the good news that Jesus, the King is here, that he's sovereign, that he's leader over our lives. And that makes a difference for who we are and for what we do now with the rest of our lives and the message that the very, very good news of the message that we have to carry with us. Okay. So this week, We are in our Bible study in week two um, on salt and light. In your Bibles, it's on page 47. The text itself is on page 47. And I want you to look at that really quick with me. If you brought your highlighters with you, awesome. Take out your orange highlighter because I want you to see something, particularly what I'm hoping um, that, that that you will learn to love to do is just to notice, to pay attention to scripture. The highlighters can be helpful or if they're a pain, or if they're distracting, or whatever, do away with them. They're not inspired by God, okay? They're, they're just part of what might help you pay attention to what's inspired by God, but the highlighters themselves are not inspired. But if you have an orange highlighter handy, I use orange, frankly, use whatever color you want. <clears throat> but I want to pay attention particularly to a change in pronouns. A change in pronouns. In, in, the, in the Beatitudes, or what I like to call the be Jesus is saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the, uh, the meek. Blessed are all those people. And because they, they belong to this, or this is theirs, or this, the world belongs to them, the earth belongs to them, the kingdom belongs to them. And he's using that third-person pronoun. But here, here he switches to a second-person pronoun you. He, it's like he's zeroing in from, from you're blessed when you're in this category and you will be someday. You're blessed when you're in this category. But now he says, he, he narrows it down to you. So take your orange highlighter and color in the word you, Y-O-U. You are the salt of the earth. And I just, I just put an orange square around the rest of that statement. You are the salt of the earth. And in verse 14, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. In um, any kind of biblical literature, when there's a speaker or a preacher or a teacher and they pull a pronoun change on you, it's time to pay attention. When, when the pronouns narrow down and and aim directly at you. It's time to sit up and go, "Oh wait, this is for me." This is now part of our commission. Jesus is commissioning us. He's calling us ambassadors. He's saying, "I want you to be the light of the world, and I want you to be the salt of the earth." He's empowering us to take the good news that we know and to go out and to influence the rest of the world with it. This is influence, the ability to be sensational, the ability to affect the senses of the people around us. Here's a wonderful dictionary definition of influence. The capacity or power of persons or things to be a compelling force on or to produce effects on the actions, the behavior, the beliefs, of others, the capacity or power of persons or things to be a compelling force. Jesus is giving us that capacity. He is saying, you're now believers of the good news. You're carriers of the good news. You're living in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven. And that makes you a compelling force. You can go out into the world and light it up. You can go out into the world and bring seasoning to it. You can go out into the world and change the way people feel and think, the way they behave, that's the definition of influence. God commissions us with that influence and sends us out to be purveyors of his good news. Let's look at them individually just for a minute. I know you did some work in your Bible study this week um, on these things, so I'm not going to belabor them too long, but let's just take a little look at salt. Um, I don't know if at midnight, you know, when the cravings start and you start thinking, I'm kind of hungry. I, I'm thinking about heading for the kitchen. Um, I don't know if you're generally heading for sweet or salty. Like people kind of, there's a go-to um, kind of thing that you have in mind when you're heading for the kitchen, when you know you shouldn't be heading for the kitchen. For me, it is salt. Um, I'm looking for chips and salsa, uh, Lay's potato chips, the ones that are just saturated with all that grease and salt, man, that is, that's what I'm after. That's what I'm thinking about when I know I shouldn't be thinking about food. Um, but for some people, it's sweet. Salt is a flavor. It is, it's something that adds seasoning Um, and and, and a beautiful, wonderful flavor. Now, we know what happens if if there's too much salt. If there's too much salt, then things go bad really very quickly in food, right? We've all had, maybe not all of us because some of you are gifted in the kitchen, but uh, people like me have had those experiences with salt. There's too much salt and it gets to be a bad thing, but salt itself is a wonderful flavoring agent. I love the way Eugene Peterson says it in his translation. You're here to be salt seasoning, bringing out the God flavors of the world around you. You're gonna bring out the God flavors. We're gonna figure out what it is to be be a God flavor, and we're gonna have that influence. We're gonna have that potential within people's lives, that compelling force. Salt is not only a flavor, it's a preservative. Salt preserves. It, It makes things lasting. It makes things last. Um, another word for it is conservative, not in a political sense, but 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 in a cultural sense. A conservative, you're a conservative force. Um, we 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 want to keep what what is right and what is good about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to maintain that, even though the world around us is changing. One of the questions I asked you in Bible study this week um, was, do you sense, Have you seen anything in the culture? Uh, change or degrade or spoil or go bad around you in the course of your lifetime that you miss that you wish was the way it used to be. Um, I thought immediately, and I know I could get in trouble and get in trouble in this particular crowd right here, so bear with me, but when I was a kid, um, schools and sporting teams did not plan things on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. There was no practice, there was no games there were no travel whatever there was this did not happen on sunday mornings and wednesday evenings that was sacred space that was sacred space on the calendar for people to practice their religion for people to gather in their communities of faith and and to call one another to a higher standard that was that was safe now, we met you know, in small groups all over the week, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, but, but Wednesday evening, you always knew that that was going to be protected by the culture, by the community, so that when you wanted to go to church on a Sunday morning, you knew it wasn't going to, now, that is just not the way it is anymore, is it? Amen, sisters? Um, it's, it's hard to, to talk to your kids about that. If you've chosen in your own family to keep Sabbath or to keep space and time holy and sacred, that's, kind of a, that's the thing you gotta go to the mat with your kids about now these days because the culture doesn't really work with us on this any longer. That's not something that the culture helps us with very much. I miss that, I miss that. I would have pres- I would have preferred that that our um, that we would have had a conservative effect on that that we would have been able to, to keep that holy and sacred. Um, I just feel like I don't know. It's uh, been a couple of years since since I was able to go to Europe. Um, if you've ever been to Europe, then um, you will have seen magnificent, breathtaking cathedrals, churches, buildings that shouted. This is the center of town. This is the center of town. This is the center of our lives. The worship of God is what we were made to do. The buildings are designed exactly to lead your eyes straight upward to heaven. That's what they're designed to do. They're made for worship. And that was the center of any community. And now in Europe, at least the parts I've visited, they're just big, gorgeous, empty, Dead space. There's no life. There are museums you can visit. Sometimes you pay a little price to get in and see the beautiful architecture, the work that was made to produce this kind of worship of God. But there's nobody there except for tourists. There's nobody gathering. There's nobody studying the Bible. There's nobody around tables. There's nobody bringing, you know, a covered dish. It just doesn't happen anymore. And I see our culture heading in that direction and it makes me sad. As followers of Christ, we're to have a preservative effect, a conservative effect on the culture around us. We're to conserve what is good and right and holy and God-loving, God-adoring within our culture. That's part of being salt. Salt also heals. Salt is a healing agent. It's been known for thousands of years to produce healing. As as Purveyors of salt, as salty people out in the culture, we should be people who can spot brokenness, who can see it in one another, who see it in ourselves, and who present Jesus as the healer, the one who can make things that are broken, take things that are broken and make them healed and whole and well. That should be our motivation when we approach anyone in a friendship or in a conversation is what might be broken, what could be healed, what could be helped. As salty people, healing is part of what we do. We acknowledge that Jesus is a great healer and that he is the presence that can bring that kind of healing, the full kind of healing. I hope that you'll consider ways that you might be salt. Salt, the presence of salt within our communities. Jesus says that we're not just salt, but we're light. We're the light of the world. This statement is always so um, stunning to me uh, because Jesus, when he presented himself um, to audiences in, in the time that he was preaching, he would sometimes say, I'm the light of the world. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. But now here in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you're the light of the world. You're... You're going to go out there and be light. That means that we have the capacity to enlighten the world around us. Where there is darkness, we can bring light. Where there is an inability to see or perceive the God colors, we can bring those things out. We are commissioned as part of what brings out what God intends for people to see. So that perspective, so that the, uh, the way things are embraced, the way ideas are understood, the way vocabulary is used, the way uh, we're able to behave in our lives, our activities in life, all of this brings light, light to the conversation, light to the world. Light is absolutely imperative for the bringing of life. In creation, this was the first order of business, the first word that the voice of God spoke, let there be light, let there be light, and then he sends us out and he says, you're the light, I want you to be the light, I want you to be paying attention to me, listening to me, so that you can shed my light in situations where you perceive darkness where there seems to be darkness, there seems to be confusion, a lack of knowledge, a a, a lack of understanding, which way to go, left, right, straight, directly the opposite direction I'm going in, light helps us to see. Light's our path so that we can see where we're going. Light became this integral part of our creation when God first brought his kingdom here in creation, and now in this inaugural address, he says, you're the light. I want you to be the light of the world. Light takes darkness and lights it up, brings to ignorance, blindness, confusion, perspective, light, direction. You're the light. Our mission is to shine. Our mission is to, when we go places, to bring that light. doesn't mean we have to be preachers and teachers. It just simply means that we live in the light of Christ. That light, the light of Christ then shines through us. And people are able to see things differently. They're able to understand things differently just by interacting with the light with us. God has commissioned us to be salt and to be light, a compelling force, a compelling force in the world around us. He's given us the capacity, the ability to help people to see things, to help people to taste things, to help people to to perceive things, to feel things that maybe they wouldn 't have otherwise felt this doesn 't mean that everybody is all of a sudden a preacher or a teacher or an evangelist it doesn 't mean that you have to um, oh i don 't know study, prepare a lesson, find a stage, find an audience, and start to teach It, it simply means that as we interact in our relationships I mean, go out to coffee, we go shopping with our friends, we go wherever with the group of people that that are around us, even right now. We simply live in the light of Jesus. Um, I'm gonna read it to you from Matthew chapter five verses 13 to 16, our our text for the day. From the message, the, the version that is before you is the NIV, I believe is what I put in your books as we're doing this study together. Um, but, I, but I love to read from the message. I would never ever write a Bible study and use the message in the Bible study because I don't think that we should be doing our primary study from paraphrases. But this paraphrase um, is, 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 a, is a wonderful way to kind of feel out other angles of the language, of the words, and and to see it from a different perspective. So listen to this. This is the way Eugene Peterson says it in the message. Let me tell you, imagine Jesus. This is part of Jesus' message to the crowd. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of the earth. But if you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm gonna hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand, and now that I put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt others to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. And that's how it works. We go out into the world and we're willing to be salt, we're willing to be light. As we show that capacity to others, they open up to God. As we are open to them, they become open to God. That's salt, that's light. It's the capacity we have to be a compelling force in the world around us. Jesus gives us another way to be salt and to be light. He describes in, in Matthew chapter five, verses 17 to 20, he talks about the law. He, this is where he's opening a conversation and I wanna tell you that all of this coming week, we're gonna be talking about the law. This is a large central section of the Sermon on the Mount is about the law, L-A-W. In the Old Testament, the law, the Old Testament believers, Hebrew people, the law to them was absolutely central to who they were. It was their identity. It was their core identity as a people was the Torah, the law. And the ability then to obey the law, to be obedient or compliant with the law, then it was the definition of one's relationship with God. It was the capacity, the ability to have a relationship with God was by obedience, And as you read about in your Bible study this week, the 10 Commandments were the core of the law. It's what Moses gave us on Mount Sinai. And then that core uh, 10 Commandments, those were iterated, reiterated, talked about, argued about, rewritten, and and then hedge laws were were created to surround the 10 Commandments to make sure that that God-fearing people didn't get anywhere close to disobeying the 10 Commandments. And so they ended up with 613 Laws. I can't even imagine being able to remember 613 laws, much less be obedient to six hundred and thirteen laws. But this is where these people were. They were embroiled, kind of enmeshed in this in this idea of the law. That God had these very high standards for behavior, and the, the scribes and the Pharisees were the pros. At, at being obedient to the law. They knew the law and they, they talked about the law. They dedicated their entire lives to being obedient to the law and then imposing that law on everybody around them. That's, that's who they were. That was their identity. And so when Jesus spoke about the law, when he stood up and he said, you have heard it said, he was talking about the law. He was talking about the Old Testament law. And then when he says, but I say, but I tell you, or I say this, He is standing in full authority over the law, over Moses, over Abraham, over everyone in their heritage and their history, over King David. He is taking full authority over their kingdom, over their culture, and over their individual lives. But I tell you, this is the way it's gonna be. He says, there's a new sheriff in town, but only he's a king. He is a king and he's taking complete charge of their lives in this statement. So in the second section of the book, on page 47, the second section that we talked about this week, um, I, you know, I, told you that I, I encourage you to use those little red pins, the little red pins that we put in the Bible study for things that, that you're told not to do. Okay, and so I like, like red light, green light throughout my, my Bibles. I, I kind of try to outline in red things I'm told not to do, keep those in mind, things I'm told to do. I put in big green so that I can see green light, red light, green light as I go through Scripture. And so verse 17 starts with this, don't think, don't think that I've come to abolish the law. I, I put a red box around that. Don't think that I've come to abolish the law. I haven't come to abolish it, says King Jesus, but to fulfill it. I'm gonna make it full. I'm gonna fill it full. The law that, that you have been living by, don't think that it's going anywhere. It is not going to, to, to recede into the background. As a matter of fact, I'm going to fulfill it. And as we looked at the, the new covenant in our Bible study this week, said, I'm bringing a new covenant, and I'm gonna write it not in stone and not on parchment, I'm gonna write it on your hearts. I'm gonna write the law in your hearts and in your own minds. I'm gonna give you the capacity to have a relationship with me directly so that you can hear my law directly from me. So that, so that you and I can communicate from week to week, day to day, minute to minute about what is, what is the right thing to do? Where should I go? Moving left or moving right or moving forward or moving back? What, which is the way that I should go? Now, I have direct access to the king, the law giver, the law maker, the law himself. And I can have this, in having a relationship with him now, the law is written on my heart. That means that that tedious obedience to the 613 laws are no longer where our attention is focused. Our attention is focused on a relationship with Jesus Christ. And through that, we find that our behavior becomes changed. It is a compelling force in our lives. And then as our habits change, the things we do, the places we go, the things we choose to say, where we're at that's my timer. I promise I'm almost done. <laughs> then those, as those things are altered, people see that. They notice it. And it's a compelling force in their lives. This is how we're salt and light. It's, it's your friend who said, I can't believe that you were just kind and generous to the person who did that to you. Because two years ago, you would have cussed them one side, you would have ripped them up and down, it would have been a very different you that that encountered that person two years ago. But look at you now, look at you, it's a compelling force. As we bring our lives into the kingdom of God, the range of God's effective will, where what God wants done gets done, people see that, and there's a saltiness, there's a light, there's color that takes place because of that. This is how I'm praying for you, that you will begin to feel that influence as you interact with friends and neighbors, spouses, children, and that you'll begin to see that this is having a compelling force, your behavior, that Jesus becoming king of you, is having a compelling force on the world around you. As you see that, you'll be able to celebrate it and enjoy those as God's victories for God's kingdom. I'm gonna say a prayer for us and then I'm gonna send you to your small groups. And this is the question, this is the opening question I want you to talk about among your friends. Who in your life has been a compelling force? Who in your life has been a positive influence? Think about it, it might be a grandmother or a relative, or it might be a mentor or a a coach, a teacher. It might be somebody who's just pulled up alongside you as a friend and walked through a hard season with you, whatever. But think about someone who's been a positive influence, a compelling force in your life, and I want you to talk about that at your roundtables. Let me pray us into our small groups. God, we're overwhelmed with the privilege and the responsibility to be salt and to be light in the world around us. Give us grace to do it in a way that makes your name famous, and we pray it in the powerful name of King Jesus. Amen.